0: Again, if you turn with me to our God in prayer. Lord, we, we come now to Your Word and we recognize that in, in this book, on these pages, that we find words of life. Words that introduce us to You, the Creator of the universe. The One who made us. The One who sustains us. We find on these pages words of instruction that teach us how to live life. That teach us how to walk with You. How to have a relationship with You. In a way that is entirely different from what the world offers to us. an entire, entirely different way than what, that what the false religious systems of this world teach. On the pages of Scripture here, we find a message about Jesus Christ. The One who died in our place. One who took our place on a cross and He shed His blood on our behalf. And so as we come together, it is my prayer that You would teach us as we examine these words, as we examine what they mean, and, and we examine how we're going to live these things out in our lives today. I pray that You would transform us. I pray that Your Spirit would fill us as we take these words and then we live them out these principles and we put them into practice in our lives today. Honor Yourself in us. Make us look more like Jesus as we encounter you here. It's in His name we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, Jesus is greater than. Do you agree? That's been the overarching message. I'm glad five of you agree. That's awesome. Jesus is greater than, right? I had to think about that for a minute. It was awfully quiet. You know, there's, that's been the overarching message that we've discovered throughout the book of Colossians. Jesus is preeminent. He is first in all things. We've seen how He's created the world. How He rules over the world. He's greater than all the other ways that the world comes up with to have a relationship and to grow in our relationship with God Himself. And so in Christ, we have an opportunity. Colossians teaches, teaches us. We have this opportunity to participate in the Christian walk, we get to enjoy being fully pleasing to Him. Can you imagine that concept for one moment? You have the opportunity to be fully pleasing to the Lord. We have that opportunity in Christ. We get to enjoy being fully pleasing to Him. We get to enjoy bearing fruit in our work and in our growth. We get to be strengthened by the power that is no longer limited by our own strength and our own abilities and the things that we do by our own strength, but that is according to His glorious might. We have been called out of the kingdom of darkness. And now, we participate in the kingdom of God's Son. The Christian life is so much greater than what you and I had before our life in Christ. Because Jesus is greater than all things. And He is certainly greater than our old master, sin that we once served. Now, one of the ways that this deliverance has been expressed so vividly throughout the book of Colossians is that we have died to our old nature. We have died to who we used to be. And now, having been raised with Christ, we are alive to Him, alive in Him. We died to sin, and now we've been raised with Jesus. And just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you and I have also been raised to new life with Him. Before we were completely unable to have a relationship with God, we're now spiritually alive and we have the opportunity to participate in this journey of the Christian walk. Now, I don't know if you've noticed though, but the Christian life and the Christian walk is not easy. You ever go through day by day and go, and this is just a piece of cake. I came to Christ thinking, you know, this is going to be hard work, and boy, this is just so easy. We're flying. It's hard! It's difficult as we face sin every day, as we face what this body craves for and our flesh desires in our sin nature. It's difficult as we continue in this Christian walk. It's glorious. It's filled with joy and it's alive. But it is not a walk that is easy. In chapter 3, we've been dealing with the real problem of being spiritual beings who are spiritually alive, who now have a relationship with God, and yet we still live in these physical bodies that have not yet put on immortality. We long to please Him, but our bodies still are connected to that sin nature that sometimes longs for something else that is other than that. We know that sin is no longer our master, but the flesh, it still gets drawn towards sin when it hears the voice of our old master that cries out and says, hey, come back over here. These are the rules you used to live by and remember how much fun it was. Remember how much you enjoyed this. Remember how much fulfillment it brought to you. And it calls out to us, and the flesh is drawn towards that. So how do we How do we participate in the Christian walk and live out the theology of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in our everyday life? Colossians chapter 3 has used three illustrations. Paul and Timothy share with the Colossians who were being bombarded with some of these questions about how do I live in this, this physical world where I have a physical body that's still drawn towards sin, but I want to please Jesus. How do I live in that world and grow in my relationship with Him? And they've introduced the Colossians and us to three different illustrations that paint a picture for us of what this Christian walk needs to look like. First, we've seen the necessity of putting to death. It's it's a violent passage, it's a a passage about war, it's a passage about you and I being called to battle. Paul and Timothy showed how sin is our, our mortal enemy. And when you meet on the battlefield of lust and immorality, there is no place for mistaking who the enemy is and mistaking him for a friend. There's no room for compromising with a nemesis who will destroy you in the moment when you are trying to justify its existence in your life. And so God tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, "Kill it, kill it." There is no place for these sins in your life, and you may show no mercy when those sins come knocking at your door. Secondly, we've seen the necessity of putting off of putting off the old clothes. And last week, I. I came to church. A couple of you made reference to it today and said I looked a lot better this morning. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, last week I came to church looking a bit more ragged than I think most of you have ever seen me before. I dressed down. I came to the pulpit with bedhead. I, I didn't brush my hair. I didn't shave. Um, Pastor Jared texted David. They were on vacation and they tuned into the service and he texted David in the middle of the service and says, what in the world is going on? Why didn't your dad even button his shirt up? And some of you you, um, really felt that my attire and my lack of professionalism was completely inappropriate. But the message of Colossians chapter 3 is the same. It is a message that says it is inappropriate for you as a child of God to come dressed this way and have these sins in your life. It is no longer appropriate for God's people to walk around wearing the same sins that defined their life before Christ. We're called to put sin off. Put it away. And the picture is of removing soiled clothes. Remove anger. Remove wrath. Remove hurtful words that come from your mouth. Getting rid of those things requires you to consciously, daily make a decision that you are no longer going to wear these sins around your neck. They are not appropriate for you who have been raised with Christ to new life. And that brought us to the third picture in this chapter, which is the, the converse of the second. You've taken off the old clothes and you don't wear them anymore, but you, you can't just run around naked with nothing to wear, so to speak. And, and so, Paul and Timothy go on and they show us how God has equipped us with new attire, new clothing that is appropriate for the Christian walk, that is appropriate for those who are children of God. And he gives us new clothes to those who are His chosen ones to those who are holy, to those who serve as His ambassadors and have been adopted as His sons and daughters, His heirs. Who you are changes the way that you dress. And so then, we put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all these, we put on love. And that brings us today to the fourth word picture of chapter 3. Living out the the theology of Jesus having first place in everything means that Christians must pay attention not only to what they put off, not only what they put to death, not only what they put on, but also what they put in. Picture, if you will, a house that is decorated and furnished in a way that makes your guests feel at home. Our guests were just talking to us about hospitality. Something that's very important in, in uh, different regions of the world. But picture, if you will, a, a house that's decorated in a manner that says to the person that comes and stes, says, stays with you, you're welcome here. You, you have a place here. We want you to, to live here and, and to know that, that you, while you're staying here, you are at home. And when we were alive to sin and dead to God... When we were alive to sin and dead to God, we put in things that made sin at home. We decorated the house, if you will. We we decorated and we and we furnished the house in a way that said, "Sin, this is your place. You come and stay as long as you want." And we decorated the house with things like pride and fear and foolishness and greed. And these are the things that we are to put. These are the things that um that were put in that made sin and our old self welcome. But it's no longer to be so. We serve a new Master who is kind and gracious, who has poured out His grace on us, who has given to us His Son Jesus Christ who died in our place. And He is the One who is greater than. He is the One whom we are called to welcome. And so what do God's people who are called to welcome Jesus Christ and to make Him at home in our hearts, what do we do to make him feel welcome and at ease in our home in our hearts what do god's people put in that makes our heart a place where jesus feels at home now now first before we start diving into the passage i need to remind you that that we are that we are not able you are not able to clean out the house as we're going through this illustration of cleaning the house and bringing in the new furniture, understand that sin had its way and it wreaked absolute havoc in your life. It wreaked absolute havoc in my heart. And there is absolutely no way that I can come in and say, I'm going to fix everything up. I'm going to get cleaned up so that I can be pleasing to God. And the point of this passage is not, it is not that you can accomplish these things for for yourself You cannot save yourself. You cannot get rid of sin. You cannot do all the cleaning that has to be done. And so don't imagine that in any way that what we're talking about today has anything to do with us proving ourselves to Him. Colossians chapter 3 is not preaching a message that you make yourself worthy enough so that Jesus can come in. He is the One who saves us. He is the One who redeems us. And He is the One who paid the price with His own blood on the cross. We bring nothing to the table. There's nothing that we can offer Him that will make us pleasing to Him. Instead, He cleansed the house. Jesus is the one who redeemed us. And today, Colossians is merely teaching us how to decorate the place that Jesus has already made clean. Now, first he tells us that we need to put in the peace of Christ. Let's look at the passage together. In Colossians I can find it there first. I thought I had to turn to it. In Colossians chapter three, he goes on. I'm gonna back up just a couple verses. He says, And above all these put on love in verse fourteen, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and admonishing well one another. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so the first thing that he shows us that we need to put in in this passage is to put in the peace of Christ. Specifically, we are commanded to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, And the verb that he uses there, it's active. It's not passive. It contains this idea of paying attention to the umpire. Pay attention to the coach. Let the peace of Christ determine what is in and what is out of bounds. Oftentimes I think we read this passage, you know, the peace of Christ, and we kind of think of in some metaphysical, hypothetical, mystical concept that's being taught here that if I do all the right things and if I say the right formulas and I go to church and I go to youth group and I support missionaries doing this and I get involved in this ministry, that there's a specific formula for how all this works and there's this mystical experience that's down the road waiting for me. And I want you to understand that that's not what Paul's teaching here. Paul and Timothy are not describing some higher plane of reality that Christians can maybe one day reach and attain to. Remember, that is part of what the false teachers were offering the Colossians. The Colossians were being told that there's a way that you can have a relationship with God. And if you go through these rituals and this process that maybe someday If you go through the right doors, then you can reach this level of enlightenment. And the epistle to the Colossians is intended to show the Colossians and to show us that how Jesus is greater than all of that. And the reality of the Christian life is that we now have peace with God. That's been declared. It's been given to you. You have peace with God. Because we were once at war with Him. We were enemies of God, but Christ made peace between us by the blood of the cross. And one of the most astonishing claims of Christianity is that those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ that have recognized that He died on the cross for your sins, and you are trusting Him and Him alone to come and clean the house. To come and get rid of all the sin. You are trusting Him and Him alone for your salvation, for your eternity. That you have been made today to be friends of God. It's astonishing. But because we still live in these bodies that have to war with sin, there's a struggle that we experience. We, ex- we experience this struggle with the flesh, it's a daily battle. And so, what happens when we sin? Well, what happens when sin is something that, that you give into? You feel it, don't you? You experience it. Your old master calls out to you and says, hey, come back and do this and be a part of this. And when we do that, and when we break with our relationship with God and who we are called to be today, that struggle, there's a fracture in our relationship. And it interferes with the walk that we have with Him. Just like a father and a son as their relationship with one another. I don't cease to be... A son, but but there's something wrong in the relationship when I'm when I'm battling against my parent. In the same way, in our relationship with the Lord, there's something wrong with the walk. And you feel that, and you know the tension that it causes. We're called to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and that peace is, is something that you know has been has been fractured. When I was in high school, our, our church was part of a a basketball league and i decided during my junior year that i was going to take part in this basketball league Uh, when it came down to it uh, i was probably uh, the tallest player on on the entire team probably in both of our teams i was probably the tallest player in the entire league but i was also probably the worst player on the worst team of the entire league I, only had, I not only had two left feet, but I also had two left hands. I couldn't dribble, I, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't do a proper layup. Uh, about all that I was good for was rebounding. But every single week, I, I went to practice. Uh, my coach, who was Kent, Kent Becker, who we're going to be spending some time with in France a month from now, uh, Kent was my coach. And he came alongside me and he tried teaching me the skills. He tried teaching me the plays. He, he walked, walked me through and practiced with me how to do a layup and how to dribble correctly and how to be a part of the team. And we went through those, those opportunities. And he was the umpire. He was the coach that taught me what was in and what was out of bounds as far as being a better player. And so we practiced those skills. And I started to understand the concepts. The concepts. And understand what the play looked like and how I was supposed to pass this direction and not that direction and, and how to do a layup in, in this way and not that way. And I'd make improvements during the week. But then Friday night would come and I'd get out there, get out there on the court and the coach would put me in the game and, and you know what happened? I forgot everything. I forgot absolutely everything that I had learned because this tall, lanky, uncoordinated kid would freak out every time I touched the ball. And my first objective would not be to do a layup. It would not be to actually run with it when I had the opportunity to score. My, my objective became get rid of this poisonous thing that I'm holding my hands because I no longer know what to do with it. And everything that I had trained and everything that my coach, my umpire had shown me how to do went out the window. I didn't let the coach rule. And I it was horrible. I, I think we, we joke about it today. I think I scored one basket the entire season that we played. And it was a three pointer. And my coach went off the bench and just, Coach Becker, was excited because I mean, Jeff Niles actually made a shot. Jeff Niles actually took a shot. As followers of Christ, we have the amazing benefit that Christ is with us. The peace of Christ can rule in your hearts today. The peace of Christ is more than just an absence of conflict with God. The peace of Christ is is more than just an absence of conflict with others who are also in this relationship with God. It includes a sense of well-being and wholeness in your life. And God calls you to that. And it's your umpire. It's the thing that says, hey, whoa, 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 you're stepping out of bounds here. You're, you're, you're breaking the rules here and this is not how you're going to continue to experience the peace of Christ. And when you sin and when you divert and you go back to that old master that's calling to you and, and you start going down that direction, you start experiencing that loss of that peace in your relationship with Him. That very real, tangible, everyday peace that you can have with God. And it is called to be your coach. It's called to be your umpire that says, Here, here's the boundaries that we operate in. The peace of Christ should guide us in life. It should compel us to purity. It should encourage unity. As you see in the passage here, it not only involves our relationship with God, but it impacts the way that you relate with others and the unity that we have in the body of Christ in that we are called to that. The peace of Christ is maintained by obedience and it's maintained by thankfulness. And so let it decide what is right and counsel you in how you ought to walk. R. Kent Hughes recounts an old story which comes from the Salvation Army of the the early 1900s. It was a story of a strong-willed woman who had been nicknamed Warrior Brown because she had a, a fiery temper. She was often belligerent. She became enraged whenever she got drunk. And then one day, she was converted. One day, she came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it changed everything. Her entire life was wonderfully changed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. At an open air meeting a week later after coming to Christ, she told everyone what Jesus had done for her. And suddenly, a scoffer out in the audience threw a potato at her. And it hit her dead on, causing a stinging bruise. Had she not been converted, she would have lashed out at the man furiously. But God's grace had made such a profound change in her conduct, that she quietly picked up the potato and she put it in her pocket without saying a word. No more was heard of the incident until it came time for the harvest festival months later. Months later. And then this dear lady who had been known as Warrior Brown brought as her offering a little sack of potatoes. And she explained that after that open-air meeting, she had taken that potato that she put in her pocket, she cut it up, and she planted it. She planted the insulting potato. What was now being presented to the Lord for everyone to enjoy was the increase that came out of that. Warrior Brown had allowed the peace of Christ to umpire her life. As we continuously, consciously choose to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, I think it's appropriate that we ask ourselves, what else might be ruling instead? What are some of the things that we're challenged with on a daily basis that say... I'm going to take control here. I am going to umpire how you live, how you act, the things that you do, the things that you say. I think for many of us, fear is calling all the shots. You can see how fear is driving so many things in our culture right now and around the world. Many of us are operating based on on the things that we fear. And it determines what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. That's contrary to letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For some of us, we struggle with anger. This thing that we're told last week that we have, to be, we have to put this off. We need to get rid of it. It's the old clothes that are no longer appropriate for you. And yet, somehow that anger, for many of us, it's, it's a struggle of, the, of the, the old nature that we struggle with on a daily basis. And that anger calls the shots. And it says, this is how you're going to operate. And, and that, that anger rules in a person's heart. Oftentimes, pride can be what rules in our hearts. And says, this is how... You live your life. The command that we're told here is those are no longer the things to decorate the house. Those are no longer the furnishings that make Christ welcome in your home. But rather, you are called to be those who let the peace of Christ rule in you. Secondly, at the end of verse 15, uh, we find the second thing that we're called to decorate the home with. Three little words. They're tacked on almost as if they're an afterthought, but they're... Pivotally important, and it keeps on coming to in this passage. He says, and be thankful. It sounds simple, sounds easy, sounds like something that just makes sense, right? But it's so, so difficult some days. Something that our flesh doesn't gravitate towards. Closely tied to the peace of Christ is this thankfulness. And, and you know, after all that God has done for you, the sin that He saved you from he's redeemed you he's transformed you he's working in you today and continuing his work after all that god has done for us thankfulness should be something that permeates our attitudes and permeates our lives thankfulness is a theme that we've found throughout the book of colossians he keeps on coming back to it he keeps on telling the colossians how they are called to thankfulness three times in today's passage he mentions this thankfulness and it's worthy of noting how, how difficult it is. Have you ever noticed? It is difficult to complain about something and to be thankful about something at the same time. Because if you're complaining about something, you're not going to be thankful, are you? But if you are purposefully, consciously giving God thanks for something, it's really hard to complain about it. One of the greatest tools in, in marriage that I've encouraged people is and when, you're, when you're struggling with your spouse, Perhaps you live with a difficult spouse or you have different, difficult children or you have difficult parents. It can be challenging in that relationship. But if you learn to say, you know what, I'm going to take these difficulties and rather than complain about them, rather than be- become bitter, rather than-, than lash out, instead, I'm going to take the opportunity to specifically give God thanks for this person that He's given to me. And if you take the time to think about three things that you can give thanks to God for in that person, completely alters the way that we start thinking about the individual. It's hard to complain about them. It's hard to fight with them. It's hard to become bitter when we're in the process of giving God thanks. Giving thanks is one of the tools that God has given to you, and it is one of the things that should be decorating and furnishing the home that Christ is supposed to be welcome in. Instead, Choose to give God thanks for that individual and watch how Christ transforms your relationships. Note the third command that's given in verse 16. He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. There are many Christians who are frustrated in their Christian walk. And one of the chief reasons that I believe this is so is because we've become lazy in our attention to God's Word. The term that he uses here is is to let something dwell. To to let it live in. And as we look at this picture of furnishing and decorating the home, you have to understand that the Bible cannot just be an occasional visitor. The Bible, the Scripture, the Word of God can't just be an occasional visitor in your life that once in a while has its place. Or just on Sunday mornings when you're sitting and opening the Scripture to look at the text, it has a place in your life. Or maybe on Wednesdays it has a place in your life. It's not an occasional visitor. Instead, we must put it in as a permanent fixture. And this starts by, by taking time to read God's Word. We're called to study His Word. We're called to memorize God's Word and to memorize it. But critical to the process of letting the Word of Christ dwell richly is the corresponding decision to submit to the teaching of God's Word. It was Mark Twain that once said, Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, he continued, I have always noticed that the passages in Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. We must give it a permanent residence. We must give Scripture permanent residency in our lives as we spend time in it, and then as we take all that it says to encourage us and to convict us. And let it change us in all of those things. There's a parallel passage in Ephesians uh, that Haley just read for us a few moments ago. Uh, I've mentioned to you a few times that Colossians and Ephesians were probably written about the same time, perhaps in the same place when he was imprisoned in in Rome. And he possibly sent both of those letters at the same time. And you see a lot of uh, of similarities between these two letters. Uh, Some think that the uh, letter to the Laodiceans that he mentions... um, Later on, Colossians may actually be another copy of, of the um, the letter of Ephesians that they were supposed to exchange with one another, and so there's all these parallels. And one of the most magnificent parallels is between Colossians chapter three and Ephesians uh, chapter five. There's a lot of confusion in many churches today regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians, in this parallel passage, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn there just briefly. I'd like to point out at this parallel. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, he said, to look carefully how you walk, make best use of the time. The days are evil. Don't be foolish. Be understanding in what the will of the Lord is. And then in verse 18, he makes this comment. He says, and do not be filled. Do not be dr- excuse me. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And then he almost quotes Colossians chapter three and verse nineteen, and talks about addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. And he he goes on to talk about the family, husbands, wives, masters, slaves, children, parents, and he uses the same structure in both of these passages with one another but whereas in ephesians chapter 5 he says don't be filled with wine be filled with the spirit in colossians chapter 3 he says let the word of christ dwell in you richly there's a lot of confusion in many churches today regarding what the work of the holy spirit is in particular many christians are very confused about what it means to be baptized by the spirit and what it means to be filled with the holy spirit uh, they're, they're separate, these are separate ministries of the third person of the Trinity. Um, briefly, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, it takes place at the moment that you become a Christian. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit does not refer to your spiritual gifts or anything that you do. It's simply the Holy Spirit putting you into the body of Christ, into the church. You were never commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. Because it is a once and done deal the, the process that he's describing here in Ephesians chapter 5 is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit the filling of the Spirit is something that's different on the other hand you are commanded to be filled by the Spirit and this is a ministry that can take place in your life or not you can be consistently filled with the Spirit and as a Christian you can cease to be filled with the Spirit the key to understanding this is to look at what what being filled with the Spirit is contrasted with. Again, he says, do not be intoxicated with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what happens when you're filled with wine? Not just talking about having a taste of wine, having a glass of wine with your, your spouse over a nice dinner, but what, is it, what does it look like when you are filled with wine? When you have become intoxicated with wine? It controls your behavior, doesn't it? It starts changing the way that you act because you're being controlled by something else that you have put in. And so, if being filled with the Holy Spirit is in contrast with being filled with wine, let me ask, what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'd like to suggest to you that in the same way, He's controlling your behavior. Not in the sense that you are out of control, but that you are under His control. And here's the point, the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit refers to your walking by the Holy Spirit who empowers you so that you can live a life, the life that we've been talking about in Colossians chapter 3, in a way that pleases and honors your Savior who is greater than all else, Jesus Christ. And again, many people have come to the misguided conclusion that being filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that you lose control and that the holy spirit takes over and you kind of just you leave your body for a while and you have this out of body experience in some way. Paul is not referring to some strange and uncontrolled behavior. In fact, he gives us three areas in Ephesians chapter 5 that parallels what we see in Colossians chapter 3. Three areas where we can actively practice letting scripture take its permanent residence in our lives. And each of these will demonstrate what is characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jumping back to Colossians chapter 3, there are these three arenas where we let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. Again, when you are filled with wine, the resulting behavior is dissipation. The resulting behavior is reckless abandon. But when you are letting God's Word dwell in you richly, the resulting behavior is is walking wisely the first arena where the word of christ finds residence is in teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom as you are filled with the spirit one of the results of that is that there and one of the ways that you are are um, you allow christ's word to richly dwell in you is in the communication of god's truth Teaching is the communication of what God says in His Word. Admonishing is the flip side of teaching. It's, it's the, the side where we warn one another of sin. It's, you have the positive and negative aspects of different kinds of teaching. Part of this takes place when you choose to sit under biblical teaching like you're doing today like you do when you come to church, when you turn on the radio and you listen to to Scripture being taught. But part of this also takes place as you personally choose to study the Scripture yourself and to challenge others then with what you're learning. God doesn't call you just to listen to others teaching, but He wants you to be a part of teaching others and admonishing others. As you... Allow God's Word to richly dwell in your life. And then as you were taught, you were able to pass those truths on to others, to your children, to your spouse, to your friends. You can discuss what you're learning and that's a process of you being able to teach others what God's Word says. Just as you share, look at what I learned from Scripture. I was, um, got a text this morning from a dear friend of mine. and um, He just said, I'm praying for you today. And then he, um, he shared a passage of Scripture with me. It was just encouraging. And I thought I had it here. Oh, there it is right in front of me. Uh, in um, Psalm chapter 84. He, he just sent this to me and said, you know what? Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, God says. Uh, it says of God. In their heart are the highways to Zion. It parallels what we're talking about in this passage. When, when you are letting God's Word richly dwell in you, there is a highway that goes, gives you direct access to a relationship with your Creator. A highway to Zion. Isn't that beautiful? I wasn't planning on talking that. I'm probably getting really awkward today, but it impacted me in a special way this morning as I was eating breakfast. God has called you to sit under biblical teaching, but also to be partaking in the study of Scripture yourself. The second thing that He says is we are are also called to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are all words for different kinds of religious songs. Uh, Psalms. Uh, refer to songs of praise that probably came directly out of the book of Psalms. As you know, the book of Psalms was the ancient hymn book of Israel. And so when we sang, sing psalms, we're, we're actually singing songs that come from that book. Hymns were typically praise typically praise to God from, from outside the psalms. And spiritual songs were songs that expressed what God has done for us. You'll find hymns have a lot more theology talking about who God is and us giving thanks for, for how great He is And spiritual songs are those that recognize, look at what He's done for us and how grateful I am for what He's making me. But in all of these, being filled with the Holy Spirit results in believers praising God together. Spirit-filled living will lead you to worship and it happens within community. And the song is a result of God's Word dwelling in us. But it's also a means of imparting truth to one another. Third, spirit-filled living and being indwelt, but richly in, 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 indwelt with the Word of God, the Word of Christ, spirit-filled living will lead you to thankfulness. Does that sound familiar? Thankfulness again. It, it seems like we've seen that word already in this passage. We've seen that word several times in the book of Colossians. It's because He it wants to remind us of the importance of being Thankful. If your life is filled with complaining and bitterness, then I would suggest to you that you you don't have a circumstance problem, but you have a thankfulness problem. When you are being controlled by the Holy Spirit, the result will be a life of giving thanks. Thanksgiving that you offered God the Father by the authority of Jesus Christ who is the Lord of your life and who has transformed you by His grace. And this is a part of the fundamental change that takes place when the Word of Christ finds a welcome home in you. Fourth, as we're talking about putting things in, verse 17 goes goes very closely with this concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit that's described in Ephesians 5. The Spirit-filled life refers to first, God's Word finding a dwelling in you, but it secondly involves God's Word being practiced through you. And so the fourth point in your notes is not actually something that you put in, but instead, it is that which we are called to put out in the name of Christ. You cannot be involved in ministry in the way that God has called you to be. And you cannot be doing what, and using the gifts that God has called you to use if you are not allowing His Word to be put into your life. What you put out won't have the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit behind it this section concludes with these words he says whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god the father there's a the word thanks again giving thanks to god the father through him see what you put in has its final result as your worship extends into all areas of your life what you put in has an effect on what goes out and what you put into your family It has has an impact on your workplace. It has an impact on your ministry. It has an impact on your friendships and your neighborhoods. But it is an active part of what happens as Christ transforms us and sends us out. My friends, we've been raised with Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a reality. You've been raised to new life just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead. We are alive to God because Jesus has given us eternal life. And the resurrection has entirely changed the relationship that we have to our old master, sin. And it has entirely changed us to the new relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. And this resurrection gives us the opportunity to live on purpose. And so we must kill sin in our life. And we must put, off, put it off like the filthy attire that it is. We must put clothing on that is fitting for those who belong to Christ. But we must also pay heed to what we put in because Christ has come to reside in you. And so furnish the home with the peace of Christ. Let it rule. Let it umpire and coach you so that when that peace is shattered or fractured rather, when that peace of Christ is fractured, you know that something is wrong in the relationship. Let that rule in you. Let it be the coach that guides the way that you walk. The umpire that guides you to what is in and what is out of bounds. And let us decorate the walls with thanksgiving that is fitting for the people of God. And may the Word of Christ find a home, a permanent residence in you as you spend time in it, as you walk in it, and as its truths transform the way that You walk each day. Father, we thank You. We thank You that in this walk that You've called us to, in this sanctification, that, that You didn't just leave us to do it on our own. You didn't just save us and say, okay, you're, you're mine now, and so figure it out. <laughs> you've, you've been so good to us. You gave us specific instruction which guides us along the way so that we know what it looks like To continue in this walk. You've showed us the things that need to be put to death. You've showed us the things that need to be put off and how to clothe and attire ourselves as Your children, as Your ambassadors. And You've showed us the things that we need to put in. We thank You for passages like Colossians which teach us how to walk with You. Which teach us how to cultivate this relationship as we continue in this passage and over the next couple weeks, and particularly as as we look at how it impacts the family and our relationships within the home, Father, I pray that You would continue to transform each one of us. I pray that Your Spirit would convict us of sin, even this morning, and that we would take the things that we're hearing from Your Word and that we would make the decision to obey. And then as we do, we thank You that You've promised to control us by Your Spirit for your glory and for your honor, so that what we put out honors you and reflects your magnificence. Please guide us today as we go out from here. In Jesus' name.